Hello and welcome to Vocal, a show by Sounder where we chat with thriving podcasters to uncover stories and actionable insights that can help other creators sharpen their craft. If you're interested in going behind the scenes of a podcaster's journey, discovering growth tactics that actually worked for the pros, and learning from a diverse range of experts in many fields, you're in the right place. I'm Jackie O, your host for this episode. Today we're being joined by Dr. Guy McPherson, host and creator of the Trauma Therapist podcast, a fascinating show with over 600 episodes of mental health professionals, authors, and experts sharing their slice of insight into the vast and diverse subject of trauma, its impact on the mind and body, its role in maladaptive behaviors and thought patterns that can shape a human's character, and of course to discuss the many tools and studies out there to help inform the healing journey of a patient or loved one. It's a show by therapists for therapists, as well as other mental health professionals and anyone interested in learning about trauma for personal reasons or otherwise. Dr. McPherson tapped into a clear need in the culture, with his listenership driving his show into the top 5% and even top 100 rankings across categories and countries, including the U.S. If you're interested in growing a successful podcast in mental health or otherwise, and learning about psychology and trauma from a master of the subject, there's a lot we're about to dig into. With that, let's get started. Welcome, Dr. McPherson. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for, thanks for being here. It's an honor. It's an honor for us. Um, to get started, I thought it'd be fun if you could answer your own warm-up question that you've been using on your podcast. So let our, <laughs> could you share with our listeners where you're originally from and where you're at now? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, originally from uh, New York, born in Manhattan and currently living in Bend, Oregon. Why Why the east to west coast switch? Well, that's uh, a, a long answer, but, um, you know, I moved from New York. I was playing music. We moved to the west coast. To I was in a band. I was playing music and then I was living in uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles for a time. And then... Uh, my family moved here uh, to Bend, Oregon about two years ago to kind of slow things down and to be closer uh, to the beautiful nature. That's really yeah. awesome. I, yeah. I also have a, a big passion for music and psychology, and, and I'm also now starting to look around the country to see if I should go to a city or if I should slow down. So it's interesting that you've sort of had to trek that journey yourself. Yeah. Um, your podcast is, is eight years old now. When you started the show in 2014, you also mentioned launching the West Coast Trauma Project, which is sounds like a community building event. Could you explain what that was and if the joint launch helped your podcast and, and what did that turn into? Right, right. So when I first started, um, I was Right out of graduate school, uh, got my doctorate in clinical psychology. I was working in a clinic in Northern California where we were working with and assessing young kids who were showing early signs of psychosis. Loved the job, um, but just wanted to do my own thing. I, I was an entrepreneur and I wanted to be more creative and uh, didn't want to be glued to a chair when three o'clock rolled around. And at the same time, you know, we were part of our job was um, taking these referral calls from uh, parents and teachers and therapists who wanted to see if their 
young kid was appropriate for our program. And 99.9% of the times there was trauma involved and un- unrecognized, unseen, right? The therapist didn't even see it. Parents oftentimes didn't see it. And I said to myself, this is crazy. You know, I've got to get the word. I wanted to help get the word out because, you know, you, you would talk to these parents or teachers or therapists and they'd tell you the list of what was going on with these young kids. And it was, oftentimes it was crazy. You know, they were maybe hearing uh, voices or this explosive behavior in school Maybe they were self-harming or taking drugs. And then like a week later, when they would come in for their appointment, it would be this little kid with this little toy stuck under their arm. And and you'd be like, what? You'd like look at your paper with the list of things that apparently have been going on with this kid. And you'd look at this little kid in the waiting room. It's like, what is going on here? Anyway, so I, as I said, I got to start a podcast but I also wanted to start a business. And the, the West Coast Trauma po- Project, which originally it was, became the Trauma Therapist Project. And I, I that was my umbrella name of the business. And the community you're talking about was uh, Trauma Therapist 2.0, which is kind of worked alongside or concurrent with my podcast. But the podcast I started not knowing anything about starting a podcast, but I'll, I'll, yeah. What are some of the big, cause you, the eight year journey is going to be like, a, we, I really want to try to distill some of the key knowledge and key lessons and turning points and milestones that you've had. And I know that it's a, it's a big journey to dive into, but when you're looking at the last eight years, what are some of those, um, big milestones where you saw yourself leveling up, right. As a podcaster or in your business, was it like a shift in skill and mindset at some point where you feel it becoming natural or new career paths and possibilities that opened up or um, organic growth and new streaming plateaus. Maybe there was a shift at, cause you're, you know, 600 episodes in, I feel like there's some various chapters, but if you can kind of just pinpoint some of the ones that you feel um, have insights that can help other podcasters on their journey. Yeah, that's a good one. And I guess I would immediately dis- distinguish it between personal and and business and of course they're related but personally you know when I first started I had a very broad idea of what I wanted to do you know I wanted to help get the word out about trauma that it's out there and it's prevalent and I wanted to help newer therapists young therapists like myself at the time who were just starting out I wanted to kind of inspire them and help them become informed. So my, my original idea was to interview like master trauma therapists. And I soon found out that they weren't always the best guests. You know, it it wasn't that I, I wanted to just have them, uh, spew a bunch of knowledge. Me, I wanted to get in there and, like get into their guts, get into their souls and find out how the heck they got into this field and hear their story. And that to me was really inspiring. And that for me really tapped into or helped me tapped into my own journey, my own story of trauma and having been bullied when I was a kid and not being able to, 
slash courageous slash willing to talk about it and uh, especially on, on a podcast but you know when I started interviewing people and one of the questions I would always ask was if they could share um, uh, an early clinical error you know and a lot of these were seasoned therapists and a lot of therapists would be like laugh because they had many many of these of these so-called errors or mistakes. And I thought initially it was going to be based on knowledge or technique or intervention. You know, this didn't work or that didn't work. But really what, what happened was, what evolved was uh, stories about their not being able to be themselves, not being able to uh, be vulnerable or share their own story. And that really, of course, really helps connection. So that helped me in turn really be myself more. And that was one of the, is one of the key things I think that really uh, helped me, you know, and I think that's one of the key differentiators in uh, a, a what I would say is a really good podcast. I think it's easy to have a podcast, but I don't, I think it's, can be challenging to to be yourself and to really be individual and and find your voice in doing it. Mm-hmm. I think that's crucial. Absolutely, and it's it's tricky, right? It's one of those you can sometimes think you're being yourself and you're not. You like <laughs> right. don't even realize that you're filtering yourself in little ways because you're so used to it. Right, and initially, you know, when I started out, I had been listening to a lot of podcasts. I was listening to a lot of podcast about entrepreneurs and doing these incredible things with their lives. And I found it very inspiring. And I thought to myself, well, I can do that. You know, and again, like I had no experience at all. And I modeled myself after other podcasts. And I think to a certain degree, when you're starting out, that's okay. But I think you can only get so far. It's only when, you know, we hear someone, and it's not just over podcasts, it's even when we meet someone, right? When, when we've, when we sense that they're being themselves, when they're authentic and when they're, uh, when they're, uh, at one in a sense with themselves, you, we, I think as a human species, we're drawn to that, you know, whatever, whatever the topic is. Mm -hmm. So for me, that, that's crucial to find that. And I try to bring that out in my guests. Absolutely. And then in terms of business milestones, when were you able to go full time as a podcaster? And maybe if you could share a little bit about like some of the things you tried when you were trying to monetize and and figure out how to build your business around your podcast. Yeah, that was that's that's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I, I went, you know, when I first started, I what I did was. I was doing the podcast and I want I knew I wanted to monetize and I wanted to create a community. So I created Trauma Therapist 2.0. So what I did was I invited back some of the guests I had on the podcast to interview for Trauma Therapist 2.0. And Trauma Therapist 2.0 are interviews more specifically about how these therapists work. Mm-hmm. Specifically, what do you do? I don't do that on the podcast. So that Trauma Therapist 2.0 was a community, a membership community, which I was able and still am able to monetize where therapists are able to go and, and 
really learn from seasoned therapists about how these different therapists of different specializations across the trauma spectrum work with their clients. Um, and that has been consistent. It's been kind of an uphill by- battle, up and down. How um, long has that been running? Since I started, pretty much. Um, you know, and then I was able to monetize through like audible.com as kind of an affiliate, which came and went sponsorship. I tried to start right away and, and that started, um, you know, nominally, I mean, it was next to nothing. Um, I tried coaching, which I did, you know, um, I I tried everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's hard. And because the, the things yeah. that stuck is is the membership, and I know you have your newsletter as well. Well, that's n- recently that's about a year and a half old. How is that? Um, that's going really well. Your business, okay. Yeah, that's going really well. Sponsorship right now is my probably my main source of revenue at this point. In like host red direct ads type. Host red, yeah, dynamically inserted ads, yeah. And you're using the Sounder Campaign Manager, right? Yeah. So you can stitch them because I was I was listening to your old catalog and I heard I heard those fresh ads. Yeah. Um, was that was that something that was able to help you make sponsorship a larger part of your income? Was it being able to use that back catalog and that fresh insertion across all? Definitely, definitely. I mean, it, it got to the point where I needed someone to help me do that because mm-hmm. it was just too much. Mm-hmm. So I recently hired someone on just to do that. But And that's one of the main reasons why I moved um, over to Sounder to because of the analytics and all this other stuff, which really, really helps. Are there any other plateaus or not plateaus? Are there any other milestones that you wanted to touch on? I, I know eight years is a long time, right? So we have a big one where your mindset shifts and then that's helping you gain more traction, right? Because you're connecting with your audience more. You're getting more regular listeners because you as a host are really beginning to show yourself and evolve. Um, when you look at like, okay, maybe I'll put it this way. If you, you have your eight years of knowledge and if you had to go back in time and start all over again, but you could tell yourself three things, you get three <laughs> secrets of like the biggest, um, you're like, if I know these things, I'm going to set myself up for some of the most success and avoid some pain. What would you tell yourself? Yeah. Oh boy. Um, you know, I think the, the first thing would be again, going back to um, continue to trust or begin to trust in your yourself and who you are, and don't try to hide what you f- might feel are, you know, the, the the blemishes or the not so great parts, because that's the part that really speaks to people. People mm-hmm. don't want to hear how everything is perfect, you know. At least from my perspective, this is Absolutely. totally my perspective. Um, and I think that has enabled me to connect with my audience. I think another thing is business wise is to, um, I mean, this just sounds so over, overused, but don't give up, you know, it, I mean, I can't imagine when, when I first started out to think that I would have sponsors and have it be 
my main source of revenue would it would be ridiculous. There's, I, I would never have believed it, you know. Um, I mean, those are those are two crucial things, and it's 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 really hard. I think to the other thing. I love doing this, you know. Mm. I love interviewing people, and I think that's another thing. Is you've I think if you're going to do a podcast, and especially if you want to monetize it. Um, and you want people, and you want people to listen to you. I think you, you've got to love. You've got to be passionate about it, passionate mm-hmm. about the topic too. So, you you're running your podcast, your podcasting workshop for mental health professionals, and I saw that just yesterday you you relaunched it, which is really exciting for the summer cohort. Yeah. Um, from teaching the last cohort, cohort, what are some things you learned about podcasting? because you were teaching podcasting to new, you know, new creators, new mental health professionals in the Right, field. right. I think, you know, initially not everybody of course, but a lot of people are just so overwhelmed with the many steps involved to creating a podcast. And, you know, from my perspective, doing it every day, you you you, you kind of don't see you're not as you're not as overwhelmed or swamped by it, and I think it's really important just just to break it down. I mean, it's really in a, in one sense, it's really simple. You know, and my whole setup is super simple, and I tell people this. You know, I don't have a lot of bells and whistles. I don't have a mixing board or anything like that. So in that sense, I make sure to tell people that it's really easy. You need a microphone, you need a computer, and you're good. You're good to go. Yeah. Um, so I I try to. In, instill that but I keep coming back to really um, helping people uncover the importance of why they want to start a podcast Mm -hmm. and I make no judgment about that but I think it's really clear for people to just get clear on why they want to do it do they want to make money Um, do they want to uh, you know be super successful and both of those things are hard to do, yeah. you know, and I think certainly they can be done on, on different scales, but, uh, um, so I, I try to, I try to tell people that on the one hand, it's really easy to do, but I think it's really important to get clear on why you want to do this. Did it feel like some of your students weren't intrinsically motivated enough? Um, because the two I, no, things you described were external success. Right. I felt people were intrinsically motivated. I think also that uh, there were some people who weren't really clear on what it is that they wanted to do, what they wanted to say. Like there were some students who were like, I know I want to start a podcast, but I'm not really sure on uh, what it is. You know, because I think there's a certain amount of fear in putting your voice out there. Because when you've got a podcast, you are putting your voice out there. People will listen. Obviously, it depends on how many people are going to listen. But people are going to listen, and in a sense, you're you're making a statement, whether you believe it or not. You know, and with that comes, I, especially in the mental health field, I think there's there's a certain responsibility that comes with that too. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I think I asked this, but we were, we were like weaving through your journey. When, 
when were you able to become a full-time podcaster in like the eight-year journey or if you like maybe it was like episode around episode 300 or something like yeah i think it was um probably year two so maybe well yeah i mean you can also ask the question should i have done that (laughs) should i should i have been a full-time podcaster at that point probably no but i did Mm -hmm. you know i i just you took a leap i took a leap I, I really did, you know, and, and you know, there, well, Not yeah, without stress, I mean, but right. A lot of people like, make sure you have a runway, a financial runway. I, I didn't really, you know, it was kind of a quasi runway. Um, but you know, I wanted to do it. And I mean, I think another important thing too is to, to, to point out is, um, are people using a podcast, as part of their business, as their main business, you know, is it something, and especially in the mental health field, are they using that to, you know, uh, for referrals, for clients, to market whatever they're doing? You know, there are many ways it can be done, but also uh, I think, again, important to get really clear on on what it is you want to do with that. Yeah, and I've heard that, that um, from some of the most successful podcasters I've spoken to, that they've built sort of a multifaceted business around the podcast, which is also what you've been describing with the newsletter and the membership program and, and finding places to send um, listeners to engage further now in an exchange of value. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's what I have done. Um, you know, the newsletter is my latest source of revenue and it's kind of been a no-brainer for me because... Over these years, I've built up so many different resources, such a network of people and information that I'm able to very easily put together a a vibrant newsletter, worthwhile newsletter that I'm able to monetize, you know, and that's something that came about kind of organically Mm -hmm. for me, fortunately. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine the wealth of knowledge you are after 600 plus interviews with experts in trauma and psychology. Okay, we can do some quick rapid fire to like shake the energy <laughs> fresh before we move into into psychology. What's an insight um, from everything you know that you've been absorbing and learning in life? What's an insight that you have in your head that you wish you could kind of implant? in everyone's heads like if there was one lesson that like you know all of a sudden people would have that awareness what would it be yeah that's that's um i think it's a good question because it's something that really drives me now in in the work i do which is i think the the importance of each of us honoring who we are you know I think to a certain degree, I mean, when I started my podcast, there was part of my story that I certainly didn't feel comfortable sharing. And I'm not saying that we need to disclose everything about ourselves, but what I am saying is that there is so much like beauty and humanity in the our nooks and crannies, our ups and downs, uh, the the hills and valleys of each of our lives, 
that when we see, you know, when we talk again, coming back to authenticity, when we're, when we're talking to someone and we sense that in them, we sense that they're comfortable in who they are. We're so attracted to that. And for me, there, there's so much strength in that and beauty in that. And really that's what I I'm doing now in my podcast and the different in my business, trying to, uh, empower therapists to, to own that. And, and if you're doing a podcast to be able to, uh, transmit that in a sense. I, I heard one of your, I think it was like 40 episodes. It was like episode 560 where you were talking about this realization of authenticity, um, being a, a, a driving force to bring into therapy and into podcasting and that not to rely on knowledge too much. What, what do you think delayed or hid that realization from you for so long? Like is insecurity rooted in trauma? Is that trauma um, too, or is it something else that's getting in the way of us kind of seeing something? Yeah. Well, for me, it, it was, I mean, you know, for me, when I was younger, I was, uh, felt, I felt things happened that made me feel like I wasn't smart enough. Um, I was bullied as a young kid and that impacted my self-esteem and my self-trust. And so that really impacted the trajectory of my life. You know, I ended up going to graduate school and I felt as a therapist and certainly a lot of therapists, you know, you go to graduate school, you go to school, you get educated and you come out and you feel you need to be a therapist and you have this information. But for me, you know, it, it, it translated into not feeling like I needed to lead with myself, my humanness. I felt like I needed to lead with some idea of a therapist that I had. Well, I had to have all mm-hmm. the answers and da, 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 da. You know, and it wasn't until when I was working, when I was seeing clients, I had this interaction with this kid that I just was able to dispense of all that. And I threw down this assessment I had and I just was able to connect with this kid on a very human level. And it really shifted everything for me. It really made me see that that is so important, the ability to do that. Um, and that's what it was for me, you know, um, and and ever since that point, I've I've just found the simplicity. But that's not always easy to do. Right? It's not always yeah. easy for us, whether you're a therapist or not, to just be yourself. To because yeah. for whatever we all have those things where we have insecurities or whatever. But there's so, again, there's so much vitality in that and and power in that in a sense. It's, it's interesting. We have these spiritual realizations and then they flicker. <laughs> and it's like, how do you clear your energy enough to keep that, you know, focus, that clarity, that new insight on the path is like a compass. Um, it's such a strange part of like the human. That's a really mind. good analogy. And I, I think, you know, for me, my immediate response is it it's, goes back to like, who are we surrounding our, ourselves with? You know, what kind of job do we have? Um, mm-hmm. Are those things able to support 
that flickering. So it's not always just flickering. It's more of a constant mm-hmm. flame, you know. Um, like minimize environmental leaks. That y- are gonna yeah. Leak. Minimize that and, and maximize the support. If you, if you had to explain um, some of the key principles of trauma and what it does to a human, to like an 11-year-old, someone who is going to be growing up to probably have a lot of these experiences and navigate it, and you're trying to equip them with some of this baseline sort of bottom of the pyramid knowledge, what would you say? Well, I'm explaining this to an 11-year-old. Yeah, what trauma is and what it can do to a human and their path well, like, to prepare them. Yeah, I mean, to an 11-year-old, I would say, you know, it, it's something that uh, is bad that happens to you uh, or an experience that you don't want to have happened that is really severe, that shocks you in a sense. I mean, that's to an 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know... The important thing is here also one something that happens to one person that traumatizes them could happen to s- someone else that doesn't traumatize them. Um, and that's a really important point in, in trauma. Um, mm-hmm. But That it's hard to draw that line of like what is and isn't a traumatizing behavior. Well, a, a or trauma, action or right, event. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you could go through a car accident and literally be fine i could for a host of reasons come out of that same accident and my life could be upended you know we're talking about things i mean look people go into war some people Mm -hmm. walk out with ptsd others don't and there are a lot of reasons for that you know support uh mental health um uh, physiology and, and so forth but trauma is real man i was just doing an interview with you know before we got on here with with a guy who uh uh a a male who experienced sexual assault when he was really young and it took him years decades to be able to talk about it to face it to face the shame to face the guilt um this stuff is is intense do we turn um, a really traumatic or damaging event into shame and guilt as a way to feel control over it? Why do you think that even as a child we have that instinct? Well, a lot of the times, I mean, look, if you take a male and sexual abuse. I mean, men, you know, culturally we have this um, ideology of, of men as you know, they're, they're supposed to be strong. They're not allow, supposed to allow things to, that they don't want to happen to them to happen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the case of male sexual abuse, I mean, this is, you know, intense, but yeah, there's a sense of uh, uh, violence. There's a sense of being um, uh, weakened. There's a sense of someone being more powerful than you are. And... Our culture is such that men are not comfortable with talking about emotions, let alone talking about being traumatized or being sexually abused. And that's where the shame comes from. Um, Denial. These things are very 
well-equipped to prevent us from feeling the damaging emotions, the, the, the searing pain of it all. You know, allows us to cover up um, our feelings. I mean, the guy I was talking to just now said he was going through his life as a zombie. He was doing everything he could to dampen down the the, the pain, you know. And well, I'm gonna let his private his privacy be his privacy. Um, what's What's the last truly surprising thing you learned about trauma in the last year? Because I mean, I'm, I'm sure that when you're having all these conversations and you're developing your expertise and you start to hear a lot of the, a lot of similar themes, right? Because you're figuring out the subject. What's sort of the something in the last year? And maybe if it's been longer than that, you could point to something else. But the last, you know, big surprising learning that you've seen in trauma. You know, it's, I mean... I don't know if it's if it's surprising to me. It's it's just more, um, well, in a sense, it is. I mean, I'm, I mean, I speak to people every day who have experienced trauma. You know, and you mm-hmm. can look at trauma on a spectrum, in a sense. You know, from minor uh, infractions like being bullied on on one end. You could say maybe that's minor. I mean it definitely screwed up the trajectory of my life and sexual assault on the far end of the continuum but it it's crazy to me how prevalent this is you know i mean almost we're everybody either has experienced some form of trauma or knows someone certainly who's experienced mm-hmm. some form of trauma. I mean, this guy I was talking to today, he said when he, after he wrote the book, all these friends, of several friends of his who were in their 60s were coming out of the woodwork sharing their experiences of having been sexually assaulted. They had, they had never told anyone, you know. Um, that to me just never ceases to to amaze me. And yet, you know, we're living in a culture where we're really just now starting to, I think, see the light of day with how prevalent it is. I mean, now, right, we have the Me Too movement. We have all these celebrities, these sports stars coming out and sharing their own experiences with mental illness, much of it due to trauma. Um, but mm-hmm. that, unfortunately, it 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 just is, it saddens and... Um, yeah, it's just it's just crazy to me how prevalent it is. I've been I feel like I was thinking that recently too. I was just sort of noticing after going through my own experiences and, and talking to more and more people, I was like, Oh my god. Like it's it's not something that I grew up thinking about and then it just felt like the secret life of everyone <laughs> is that everyone's carrying these things and it connects to a lot of their behavior patterns that might be affecting like whether or not they're on their best life path. Exactly. Exactly. Because a lot of times people are like, well, I haven't been to war. I haven't been traumatized. I haven't been raped. I haven't been traumatized. I haven't been in a car accident. I haven't been traumatized. Well, 
there's bullying, there's domestic violence, there's witnessing to domestic violence. Mm -hmm. It goes on and on and on, all these things that can be traumatizing for a lot of people. Not everyone, but for a lot Mm -hmm. of us. Yeah. What, um, What are some of the more subtle, you know, maybe less discussed, but more common ways that one person might traumatize another something that you might see in regular life but you know from your expertise to not allow it in your own relationships or let it happen in your own <laughs> yeah that's a that's an interesting question i think you know something like um emotional abuse um and i'll get into that more or, or verbal abuse you know these things can be traumatizing Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something called attachment disorder for young developmental trauma with young kids. Um, you know, the way we talk to each other, the way in, in relationships, the way we are with each other, uh, can be traumatizing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, not, and, and I don't want to say, you know, I want to dis- dis- make a distinction between, you know, having an argument and being traumatized. I'm not, I'm not yeah. equating the two, but I'm saying emotional abuse is, is something that is, that is severe. That is, uh, treating someone with, with, with malice and over a period of time. I mean, this stuff can be traumatizing for people or verbally abused the way people are, uh, taught, especially younger kids, made to feel uh, negligent, you know, made to feel less than, made to feel stupid, made to feel, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. That stuff can be traumatizing. A lot of times as parents, you know, you might not realize that, you know, and that was mm-hmm. one of the main inspirations for me starting this podcast when I, when I just started out, you know, a lot of parents were like, Oh, you know, he, he was bullied, you know, come on, that kids will, you know, boys will be boys. Well, yeah, but not always, you know, not always, not every kid is going to walk away from that feeling fine. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's really important for us to understand and value that, you know, how we treat each other. Uh, on a day-to-day basis and certainly in relationships and on the far end of that scale or that continuum, um, that can be damaging for people. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. It's, and that, that's subtle. It's the little things we say to each other that all of a sudden, you know, someone says something to me and, and maybe I'm young and, or someone says something to me that reverberates with something from when I was young and all of a sudden I'm, I'm limiting myself more. Right. And they're making me cave in a little, like it's, it's, but it's subtle, right? They, it is. That's right. why traumas, it, trauma's like a little worm sometimes, but it's yeah. so big, but sometimes in, when it's in public, the way that it hides, it's like, right. Well, in that sense, I, w- I would liken that to like a trigger, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're triggered by what that person said yeah. that kind of sent us back to, and that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. For me, you're right. That is different. Like it's it's not traumatizing. It's triggering a trauma that's there. So it's almost it's like re-traumatizing. But that person might, yeah, <laughs> yeah, potentially could be re-traumatizing depending on you know the the significance of the trauma, initial trauma. Yeah. Um, but and that's why I think it's really important for people to understand what trauma is, so they can say to themselves. Yes, you know, I did have this experience that was traumatizing 
And that's why I'm trying to squish it down by doing drugs or overeating or whatever. And maybe I should get Mm -hmm. some help. Um, A lot of times we don't use that word trauma. Um, Again, a lot of people don't, don't think of themselves as having been traumatized because well, not, they're not a war veteran or haven't they haven't yeah. been in a car accident just something like that do you do you think that modern mainstream western society has the risk of being traumatizing um just sort of a mixture of the way that social media operates the way that culturally we really um glorify kind of money power beauty youth and you know and the otherness that that can perpetuate like I'm not it's not that it necessarily is because as we as you've highlighted that line can vary person to person but do you see that the way that modern culture um, expresses itself and operates and what its values are has a risk of being traumatizing for people at at scale definitely I would say yeah yeah, I mean without a doubt I mean without Uh, what do we how do we insulate ourselves then from that (sighs) these are heavy questions I mean look at you know, adolescence with social media and, um, I mean, just that little capsule in and of itself can be really traumatizing for young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, kids are killing themselves. Adolescents are committing suicide because of, you know, online bullying and, um, and, and so forth. I mean, that's just one little example. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and that's why it's really important, I think, for um, parents to understand what is trauma, what, how, how is, how is it defined, what can be traumatizing. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. look at, look at this pandemic we're all living in. That's traumatizing. Oh, it's been traumatizing for, for the, the world, which is crazy, right? We are, as one of my guests said, we're going through currently something that is really traumatizing and it's not ptsd ptsd is something that can be diagnosed in the wake of trauma we are going through this traumatizing thing right now and it's accounting for a lot of people's depression a lot of anxiety and so forth and it's it's and it's real you know people are people are being isolated you know and now we're in this weird quagmire of well things are kind of getting better but now they're not and i'm tired of it you know (laughs) people are just done with it Mm -hmm. you know right we we, when i first started when this whole thing first started you know i was like you know just reading the news constantly i love reading the news and it just got to a point jackie where i was like i couldn't because i was going nuts i was getting so anxious that I just had to stop everything. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yes to your question. And I guess the way that we, I don't know. I mean, in terms of like with your own family, you'll be able to sort of raise your kid with a healthy relationship to these cultural values, to these apps. And, and you can decide. Hopefully the internet will be. Yeah. yeah true. I mean, it's I not easy. I've, I feel like you're so wise that they'll listen to you. I hope they do. Hopefully, you know, it's it's like having an awareness of something is one thing, right? Being able to implement that is certainly a different thing. Um, it can be very challenging, especially with younger kids. Absolutely. 
Okay, so a relative or a loved one goes through a severely traumatic experience. And what is most people's first instincts to talk about it and to, you know, ask them questions, get them right. talking about it. But, but what should we do in those moments where we're trying to be for that person and trying to help them get help and they're clearly really wrestling with something? Right, right. Yeah, that's a good one. And again, it's going to, you know, depend on the person and the circumstance. And um, But I think really the most important thing that, we could do is to let that person know that we're there for them. Hopefully we are there for them that, um, you know, if, if they need help, we can help them get help. Maybe that person, this is an acute situation. I mean, are we talking about physical trauma or mental trauma? Let's say, let's say it's emotional trauma or psychological trauma mm -hmm. and it's not mm -hmm. so obvious, right? They're, they're, yeah. Like a car accident. Right. It's not that. Right. So in, in that sense, you know, it's important for people to know that you're there for them, right? They might not want to hear, they might not want to, oftentimes people don't want to talk or shouldn't talk about anything, but it's important for, I think, us to know, to let them know that we are there for them in whatever capacity, um, mm -hmm. rather than try to steer them into uh, uh, any kind of direction of help. And maybe that might be useful. Maybe they might need to see someone or talk, talk to someone, a therapist or whatever, and they could benefit mm -hmm. from that. Uh, but allowing or creating a space for that person to feel uh, safe, calm, as calm as they can be, would really be helpful. If you see sort of like suffering from trauma and going off the path, like your best path in life, and then healing from trauma and trying to get onto your best path in life, is does guilt and shame... And sort of withdrawal, are those the things that lead you off? And then if you were on that healing journey, what are sort of this, like these very broad sort of forces to lean into? Like I feel like based off of what we've talked about, you know, it could be love and authenticity and maybe there's another one. But sort of um, if we're looking for the emotions to follow, sort of that sensory you know, like sometimes when language doesn't make sense and we're just trying to figure out like what feels right and what doesn't, like how do we try to navigate that mire of trauma to mm. not go, to catch yourself going the wrong way and trying to, you know, what does the right way feel like? What is it, like how do we try to define those emotional terms? Yeah, that, that that's, makes sense. yeah, you're asking some really good questions here. Um, Thank you. You know, you were talking, you were making a distinction between, you know, maybe, uh, denial and, and shame and these other ones. And I think it's important to, to, to recognize that when we are going through a traumatic experience, what we are and what our body is, is experiencing and doing is what it's doing. You know, and oftentimes we look at these experiences and emotions as, uh, negative in a sense or maybe ones we need to move through but oftentimes those are the things that are helping us survive mm -hmm. that are helping us preventing us um from feeling or or being cognizant of the awfulness that we experienced you know in trauma oftentimes the the uh, our prefrontal cortex our thinking mind just goes offline 
mm-hmm. because it we need it to. We can't look at and 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 conceive of what the hell is happening to us such that that just goes offline and we dissociate, right? We're just completely out of our body. And in that sense, that becomes very protective. Um, f- that helps us keep alive in certain situations. Moving towards uh, the process of healing happens for many different people for a lot of different different reasons, but oftentimes when we can regain a certain amount of, of trust or safety or uh, uh, releg- regulation of our nervous system, you know, we might have certain experiences where uh, we feel, okay, you know, I can do this. I can trust. I, and that leads us maybe to talk to someone uh, in a way we've never talked to someone before. We've been able to talk to someone before. And, and that the, the, the healing, the doors of the healing process uh, begin to open up ever so slowly. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. And it, it's so interesting. I, I, it just makes me think of this other aspect of American culture that I lived in Japan for a while and they pointed it out to me that Americans can't, they hate physical pain. And so we consume a lot more ibuprofen and Tylenol than anybody in Japan. And the same thing, like when it's hot, we put the cool air. When it's cold, we put the hot air. And in Japan, like when it's cold, even in the house, a lot of times they don't use heaters. They just start wearing sweaters. They just adapt and they can sit in the environment. Mm. They can sit in the changes. They and I wonder if there's an overlap with that, our discomfort with physical pain and just being able to sit with that. Nonetheless, emotional pain mm-hmm. and being able to like, so the idea that we can sit with discomfort and suffering. Um, yeah. That's a really interesting uh, <laughs> reality. And it, it, it just makes me immediately think of being able to sit, right? That whole aspect of uh, meditation and Zen just, came from the east to the west you know and it's something that um in somatic therapy somatic healing it's one of the things that is done is is learning to sit with and be able to sit with that feeling of or that knowledge of what happened to you and not be triggered is something that takes is done within the healing process because initially it's very difficult to uh, f- allow yourself to feel to be in that space again to be triggered because automatically you just you you go off but once you are able to sit with that the healing can begin yeah you can actually start to move right. forward right. Um, instead of like if you resist it too much you might replay this circumstance even longer. Right. <laughs> You're not doing yourself any favors. Right. So just before we close up, I'm going to put in one more question and I'll ask you anything that you want to share with everyone. Um, what, so people might look at your podcast and it's super awesome, incredibly informative, you know, 600 episodes going since 2014, highly successful. And you know, you, as you're, as a new creator, you might feel intimidated, like, well, he's clearly, done so much work in this space um you know does the space need more so if you were making a case um to the public or to mental health professionals why should more mental health professionals get into podcasting today 
what would you say to them? And then what advice would you have for them? Well, it, 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 it's funny because I, I'm put together a workshop for mental health professionals. Look, there are plenty of other podcasts out there on trauma and not to mention mental health or anxiety. To me, it doesn't matter. What does yeah. matter is your ability to look, if you did a podcast on trauma, it would hopefully it, it would be you doing it. You know, you, the world, I just put out a post. It's like the, we don't need another podcast, but the world needs your podcast, you know, your specific individual take on things. Um, mm-hmm. and it's look, that. my, look, Joe Rogan is has a podcast that's crazy, right? Crazy successful. Tim Ferriss, crazy successful. Um, uh, Gretchen Rubin, crazy. Mine is nowhere near that. But hope, not hopefully, I know that I'm speaking to certain people in a way that other people can't. And similarly, other people can speak to people that that other people can't, right? You're going to be able to reach someone that I can't. And that is, I think is crucial for people to understand and it should be inspiring because all it means is you have to be you show up and be authentic. Right. The rest will follow. Hopefully. Yeah. No, I love it. Like I was, when I was talking to the, the comedy podcasters on a different episode, they were, you know, super tactical, but it's really interesting talking to you today. Cause you really just zoom in on like the core identity principles that if you show up and you're authentic, you have the right intentions for your podcast. You have, you really want to, and you're going to be able to do that consistency and that follow through magical things can happen. A lot of growth can happen because having those things alone and actually executing for many years, you're going to be one of the only people who did that. And then a lot of the other competitions starts to fall off and you start to rise um, and you get better at your craft and all these things. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's just that clarity, you know, and that even when you, if you were to go back, I thought it was interesting that if you were to go back in time and give yourself any of your hacks, you didn't give yourself any actual like business podcast hacks. You're like, you need to think this way. Right. And then you'll get to where I am. That's all That's all you really need to do. If you know how to actually think and go on this journey, you're going to get to where I am maybe even faster, right? You'll save yourself some of the time maybe from, um, you know, decisions out of fear or whatever else, um, which I love. I think that's that's really great. So do you, we talked about the workshop. You can, you know, if you want to elaborate on a little bit more, but just anything you want to share with people, projects that you have coming out and also like how they can get in contact with you. Sure. Um, yeah, people can get in contact with me through uh, my website, traumatherapistproject.com uh, or the Trauma Therapist Podcast. Right, the workshop I'm doing is geared towards mental health professionals who want to start their own podcast. They can go to mentalhealthpodcasters.com starting in, in June and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so thankful and honored that you invited me to come on here. I mean, it's awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. McPherson. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Vocal Podcast. If you're a podcaster with Sounder who would like to be featured in this show, you can email our team at vocal at sounder.fm. That's V-O-C-A-L at S-O-U-N-D-E-R dot F-M. Until next time.